Hello, I'm Joe Hall, a reporter for Cointelegraph. I spent the past seven days in Paris for Paris Blockchain Week 2023. Over the course of the event, my colleagues and I engaged in several high-profile interviews and conversations with leaders in the Bitcoin, crypto and Web3 spaces. This episode of Decentralized is a careful curation and highlights of those talks. I hope you like it. I'm here with Pascal Gauthier, CEO of Ledger. The um, economic backdrop, you know, zooming out a bit, not just looking at Paris, is increasingly dark. You know, you've got Silicon Valley Bank collapsing, you have Credit Suisse, which you know was bought for two billion, and now the writing appears to be on the wall for Deutsche Bank. Um, how does crypto sort of evolve in this landscape, and is it actually sort of fixing these problems or economic problems, societal problems that we're seeing today? Interesting the way that you asked the question. Um... The answer is obviously yes, but because it was designed for this, you know, uh, Bitcoin was designed, you know, in reaction to Lehman Brothers and the 2008 crisis. It was designed because you can't trust central authorities, um, and uh, it's designed because it's clear that central authorities will fail. It's not a question of if; it's more a question of when. And it's interesting because. We have a tendency to forget about it. Like 2008 was a big financial crisis. Uh, and in 2021 or 2022, people were like, no, we're fine. Like, you know, this will never happen again. And 23 happens and voila, like you know, everything fails again. And people are violently reminded of sort of why Bitcoin exists. But it's good that, uh, you know, Bitcoin also needed time. So 2008, uh, 2023, now Bitcoin can really act uh the way it's supposed to act and to be an edge to um, to uh, to central um, finance. Uh, and actually, what I presented yesterday at Paris Blockchain Week was exactly that. And the business of Ledger has close to 100% correlation every time that uh, then uh, one of these events happen, whether it's Celsius, FTX, collapse of the banks, etc. And why is because the combi- combination of Ledger, self-custody, and Bitcoin is a safe haven. And so whenever the market gets stressed and whenever people fear for their savings, you know, they rush to crypto and to Ledger. So let's tap into that a little bit more and tie in your speech yesterday, which is really interesting, the concepts you bring up there. One of them was, you know, faith, faith that crypto or Bitcoin might uh, get us out of this mess. Firstly, to what extent uh, are people losing faith in fiat currencies, you know, traditional financial system the way we see it today? No, I think, you know, the point that I was bringing is, uh, you know, the uh, Le Doute de Blaise Pascal. So it's a, it's a French philosopher and, you know, uh, and he was talking about God and he said, you know, whether you believe or not in God, like, you know, your best edge is to believe a minimum. So if God exists, if God actually exists, then, you know, you have a chance to go to heaven. And if it doesn't exist anyways, you know, what's, uh, you know, there is no downside. And so I was just making a point that, you know, people have are too opinionated. They, you know, they say either like the central system is the best or Bitcoin is the best. Like, you know, it's like you should have a reasonable doubt that, you know, the central system will fail and reasonable doubt that Bitcoin might not be everything that we need. And so, you know, and understand that both value propositions have a future, like, you know, fiat and centralized system won't disappear completely, although they have in certain countries like Lebanon or Argentina or Argentina, not maybe completely, but to a certain extent. Uh, And so what I said in my speech yesterday is probably if you look at the world the way it is now, you probably need to edge yourself. And it's just a question of risk management. 
do you want to put all your eggs in the same system or now that you have two systems do you want to you know edge yourself and so you know reasonable doubt and edging yourself i think it's a it's a it's a good risk management next up i speak with sergey kunz co-founder of the one inch network it seems like tradfi slash politicians are even getting interested in the web3 or in your case DeFi space do you think the person on the street yet is interested in what web3 and DeFi is all about I think the the person on the street maybe is interested how to uh, like where where to put the money where you will not lose the money. <laughs> so how to how to earn on that as well. Right now you are very limited as um, as a person out there. Uh, you're very limited in products where you can invest right now. Of course, people should be protected so they are not get, getting uh, scammed or something. But the uh, product availability uh, is really small so just for example for my daughter i was asking the the local bank uh, in germany to provide some products uh, but they couldn't even pull for bonds you know like right now you, you get like four percentage five percentages for us bonds and they couldn't couldn't offer this you know and, and they and yeah so still some work to do in terms of education i imagine uh, regarding regarding Web3 at all, for sure. So a lot of people, they uh, thinking crypto is about buying crypto and selling crypto. But uh, we have a decentralized computer on the globe where you can deploy application which can be used by everyone. And uh, right now in permissionless manner, maybe in the next future, we have a permission environment, we have permission protocols, compliance protocols, uh, like we introduced from one age Pro. Uh, where also institutional players can can be a liquidity provider, also can be the counterparty for for the retail people as well. Okay, and so one of the big themes this year has been about mass adoption. In your words, Sergey, what does mass adoption look like, or is there a way to define it? The mass adoption uh, for me means that everyone can is able to use something like Web3, for example. Uh, right now, it's not the case. So if right now, few people understand how that works. It was also difficult back in 2007 for me as a software engineer architect to understand how MetaMask works and why uh, the user interface is that ugly. Uh, nowadays, we have better approaches. Uh, we, from our side, we try to improve the space by introducing wallets. We have one-inch wallet. Hardware wallet is coming. It's a breaking changer in the DeFi and Web3 space, I'm pretty sure. Um, it's the simplest hardware wallet, open source hardware wallet out there. Um, yeah, and good user experience means that uh, everyone understands uh, how to do that. So how to send tokens, how to receive tokens, how to, how to exchange tokens. People understand that they own the crypto, that they don't trust anyone, like in case of FTX, we have seen, they gambled with 8 billion of US dollars of uh, user funds because people uh, trusted them uh, and it was non, it was custodian service, uh, a centralized one. And as soon as we have people who understand that uh, there's a non-custodian way, there's a easy approach to, to interact uh, with a lot of different services. Um, and also there's an easy way to pay for a coffee by just maybe scanning your QR code and paying with uh, Ethereum transaction. Then we, uh, we achieve the mass adoption from our point of view. Thanks so much, Sergey. I'm here with Nir Kouris, the founder of Creator Nations and Coin Nations. The bins everywhere. The city seems a bit angry. You know, 
against this backdrop of macroeconomic uncertainty, you know, with Silicon Valley Bank going under, with Credit Suisse being bought, um, do you feel, or how does that make you feel, you know, knowing that this is going on while outside the world seems to be on fire? Obviously, we want to have uh, innovation for everybody and prosperity for everybody. Uh, I think this is super important. What we're seeing here is super important, but we need to not live in a bubble, to include, to embrace, to empower all these people from outside. They don't have a clue about what is blockchain. So our goal is to use different, a different terminology so we can include all of them into the conversation. Interesting. I mean, do you think the man on the street cares or should care about what's going on here? Well, if it's going to, you know, let's say AI can replace their jobs, right? So let's, let's use, let, let's call it emerging technologies because it's AR, it's AI, it's, you know, Web3, Metaverse, all these things. Let's just call it emerging technologies. And that will be like, like having an, uh, you know, um, a Starbucks account, right? You don't know it's on the blockchain, right? Nike swoosh. You don't, you don't know, like, you don't know that you're actually minting and it's going to be on the blockchain. I'm here with Danelle Dixon, CEO of Stella. To what extent is there a disconnect between the reality of the economic situation, not just in Paris, but worldwide, and what's going on under the Les Salles du Carousel? Well, I think that that's the big issue is that there is a disconnect in terms of the what the economic situation is terrible for everyone uh, all over the world because of what folks are suffering for. And even the most marginalized are even more marginalized now as a result. And so we're in a spot where we're actually trying to build and, and for the, the Stellar Development Foundation, build to support a lot of these folks that are in the in most in need. And it is a little bit like we're not recognizing what's happening with the builders and what's happening with the protesters. Does this tie into what you were discussing yesterday in your keynote, the idea that our language currently is maybe inadequate for, for this situation and we need to be more careful with that? Would you be able to sort of um, elucidate this idea a little bit more? Yeah. So what I mentioned yesterday is that words matter. It is really important for us to be focusing on using the right language, making sure that we're not creating memes ourselves in this ecosystem, in this industry. When we talk about things like being debanked, I think that there might be some challenges right now going on with the banking system, certainly in the United States. But we need to really focus on, do we want everyone to think we're getting debanked? Because and then does that make them more fearful of crypto and blockchain? So I think that there are other ways to talk about what's happening. The One of the ways that I like to say it is crypto and blockchain are becoming a bit of a scapegoat for a lot of what's happened with those banks. But that doesn't mean that we're going to be debanked. It means that we need to just be able to prove that we are adequate for the banking infrastructure. Uh, and words, you know, when, when we think about um, other words, like when people talked about circle de-pegging, and my comment on that is that circle was always redeeming one-to-one. And so the redemption was always there and there was no de-pegging. And the more we talk about that and use those words in situations like that, we create this notion of, oh, it's utter chaos in crypto and blockchain. When in truth, there's so much good that's being done with crypto and blockchain technology. And so instead, let's focus on our uses focus there, watch your words, make sure that we are creating the right environment that we want to see, and then we're going to see it. Okay, let's talk about some of those uses then. Do you have any examples that come to mind as, you know, the crypto world doing good for the world? Yeah, well, I mean, for us, I spend a lot of time focusing on the humanitarian aid use case. Uh, We actually just did a pilot with the UNHCR and the IRC in December when we got aid into Ukraine using the Stellar blockchain, Circles USDC, MoneyGram is an uh, off-ramp, and then the Vibrant Wallet. 
And the users in that situation, so the, uh, the aid recipients were identified by the UNHCR. It was their money and it was sent to them over the Stellar blockchain. They received the aid within two and a half minutes of receiving a text message to download the Vibrant app. And that is remarkable. That is actually putting a lot of dignity and ownership and control into the hands of people who feel the most marginalized and the most challenged right now. So I think that that is a particularly awesome use that I like to focus on. But that same technology can be leveraged for more mundane tasks like payroll. It's awesome to have bulk transmission of payroll cross borders. The idea that we're doing cross border payments and we've gotten the fees down below what the World Bank had suggested that we do. All of those things are happening today with blockchain and crypto, a lot of it on Stellar and a lot of other chains as well. So I really want us to focus on that value instead of trying to focus on a lot of the crazy that's going on that really much of has nothing to do with us. Fantastic. Danielle Dixon, thank you so much. I'm here with Paolo Arduino, CTO of Bitfinex and Tether. The head of the circle, head of strategy circle, Dante, his name is, he was saying that, um, you know, people are still flocking to these stable coins because ultimately the dollar is a store of value. This kind of grated with me because I don't know, if, can we consider the dollar a store of value in 2023, particularly in light of what you just said about, you know, banks collapsing, inflation is obviously running very high in many countries around the world. Is the dollar a store of value? So I think the, you know, as um, Einstein teached us, told us, uh, everything is relative, right? So uh, the dollar is um, is a reserve asset compared to the Turkish lira, right? But uh, and uh, in many emerging markets, there are people that are desperate to get access to dollars because you know their their national currency is uh, devaluating insanely against the, the dollar. So you can argue that for them, yes, of course. Uh, but in Euro uh, Europe or in um, in US is is not really. Um, I don't think we can claim that. So I'm a big believer. I mean, I think that uh, Bitcoin is really the ultimate way to hold your own wealth and is the safest way. And um, I think that uh, if there, if anything, what is happening this in these months is just, you know, demonstrating that uh, the Bitcoiners and Bitcoin maxis were right all along. <laughs> and um, and also I'm a fan of, uh, of um, uh, gold. So I think gold in a way is not competing with Bitcoin. Bitcoin has already won is a far superior because it can be transported and so on. But if you need, usually you need to have another asset to trade Bitcoin against something, right? And I think the best asset would be um, gold and Tether gold uh, because, you know, before 1950, um, all the uh, national currencies were linked, were pegged to, to the gold. So you couldn't print out of thin air. And that is beautiful because it's like, has the same properties of, of Bitcoin, so it's scarce, it's hard to, to mine, hard to extract, right? So it's like proof of work and scarcity of, of Bitcoin. And um, now we are in a situation where, um, you know, in three, in, in three years, uh, in the last three years, the Fed printed like 30% of the total dollars in circulation. So because they could avoid to to rely on the gold as uh, as the backing asset. So I think moving back to let's say the natural version of bitcoin as your your as a stable coin as the strongest stable coin is uh, the the fairest choice. So on one side you have bitcoin the best choice for for like uh, hard money that you can transfer you can do payments and on the other side you have a stable coin that is natural and being used by humanity since the last 5000 years. Thanks so much Paolo. Here I'm speaking with Michael Lamar co-founder and CEO of I Feel Goods, as well as Paris Blockchain Week. How does it feel for you seeing this backdrop, which is 
increasingly dark versus when you walk in here and it's bright lights, it's money, it's, you know, creation, opportunity. Like, is there a juxtaposition there? Is there some, how does it make you feel? No, I think we're going to help the people in need as, as a crypto industry. You know, crypto is beyond banks. So if I give you the example of, you know, for Africa, for example, when people were um, working in the diaspora and sending money to the family. And then you have, um, I won't name the bank, but you have a neighbor bank that will take an astronomer's commission on their, the, the tough labor they're doing. Now with crypto, we can bypass this and then the cost will be a fraction of that. And the money and the power gets back to the user. Same thing with NFTs. If you're a talented artist in Africa and uh, you have access to a f- mobile phone, you can create a drawing and put it on a marketplace and uh, as an NFT and have someone buying it and someone else, a gallery from London that we have, you will have never seen, loving it and buying again and you get the royalties out of it. If we're creating new revenue generation, or I can also give the examples of even if it's no longer the case, but Axie Infinity, this P3 game where we have full, full city in India where actually the average salary like, was doubled for people who are playing with these games. Um, uh, so we're creating new revenues um, and new jobs uh, with the industry. Okay. So, and for that, you need some extravaganza, you need to be on top of the news, you need the dramas, you need everything, you need the attention, but it will move more people to the space, which will end make it a more fair place. Okay. And if you could sum up the atmosphere right now of the, the bear market or whatever you want to call this period right now, what sort of words would you use to sum it up? Obviously, I think it would be no surprise, but build, right? And, and, and what I like is actually I'm seeing the entrepreneurs now that are the same that last year. I'm, I'm investing um, quite actively and I see that the guys who are entering now the market, they know they're going to eat sand for a couple of years mm-hmm. and they're not going to make quick bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they believe in it, yeah. confident, uh, long term. Um, not negotiating that uh, you know they can sell their, their whole token in two months and they're okay with a four-year vesting. So it's, it goes in the right direction. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Mikel. Here with Robbie Young, CEO of Animoca Brands, who's just come off the panel here talking about all things metaverse. To what extent is the you know this pursuit of decentralization, is it being co-opted by these established brands? And there's a risk that we're falling into creating this fiat 2.0 or this financialization 2.0, just a repeat, but you know, almost a copy of the existing system. I think that what we see here is when there are established brands, as you said, like consumer brands, for example, or luxury goods brands, um, the reason that there is a place for them in Web3 is because brands themselves have power. You know, they resonate with consumers, whether it's gaming brands or, you know, handbag and, and luxury watch brands. Brands have resonance with consumers. And so the brands are trying to figure out how do we engage with consumers in this new medium? Now that we have the ability for consumers to have digital ownership, what does that mean? You know, how can we come up with new product lines or new services or even just a way to service our existing purchasers of physical stuff in a better way? Um, Because we all know that loyalty programs, you know, in the physical world are not, I don't want to say they're broken, but it feels like there hasn't been much innovation in them in a very long time. And Web3 provides us new tools with which we might be able to do some of that innovation. So I think that's why they're here. Yeah. Now, I was talking with someone today who uh, bought an NFT with Air Baltic and then was upgraded to like premium on his way over. And I was like, well, it's actually a use case. <laughs> you know, it might not be the best use case in the world applicable to everyone, but it's still pretty cool. But it's utility and they got value out of it. And, and if we can do that with Web3 tools, then hey, more power to them. Awesome. Okay. Thanks so much, Robbie. 
I'm here with Ryan Nitz, head of solutions architecture at Coinbase. When it comes to a lot of these Web2 or even established brands, such as we're seeing at PBW with Gucci, LVMH, um, what are the classic sort of things that they come to you with? What are sort of classic problems they present you with? Yeah, so the real challenge is that a lot of Web2 brands as they transition to Web3 is the complexity of the problem. And so blockchain technology by default is is fairly difficult. It's fairly challenging in order to, uh, you know, create a wallet, generate a secret, back up that secret. And so a lot of end users, that's not a very friendly experience. And so the brands are trying to make this, the Web2 brands are trying to make this as seamless as possible for their end users. And so they don't necessarily want to, they want to use the blockchain underneath. They see this as the future. Uh, they like a lot of the constructs and the tools available, but they want to obfuscate that difficulty uh, from their users. And so one of the things that Coinbase is doing is we're releasing technology in order to help enable that. So we recently released a wallet as a service uh, platform, which will enable Web 2 as well as Web 3. It's it's not just for big brands. It's for two people in a garage building a startup all the way up to your uh, Fortune 500 or Fortune 2000. Uh, we do so by making it as a pay-as-you-go on-demand based pricing. What this does, though, is it enables... Uh, the experience to be dictated and defined by the entity, the, the Web2 or the Web3 company with blockchain underneath it. So it's using, utilizing MP3 tech, or sorry, MPC technology, uh, which is uh, multi-party compute, which is multiple shards on different devices. So it simplifies and reduces some of the security issues that you traditionally have with Griffo wallets. It also makes it recoverable. So if you lose a private key or you lose your device, you can actually reconstitute that key from within Coinbase as well as cryptographic materials that you control. Uh, one of the really important parts of it, though, is is freedom. So we didn't want this to be walled gardens and we wanted people who had crypto wallets to be able to take those assets and not just be locked in whatever entity they onboard with. So end users can actually export their private keys. They can uh, they can do so without permission from the brand and they can do so without permission from Coinbase. Uh, and then they can take those and they can even do so in an airlocked environment. So they can take those keys and move on to another platform. So we view this as a nice compromise where we're giving brands the capability of of uh, of simplifying blockchain access, but we also are protecting the end user and giving them the ability to take assets elsewhere or, or NFTs, whatever that is inside the wallet. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so we can keep you abreast of the best in crypto. See you soon. Thank you.